Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. It makes no sense to me because I feel like if you're trying to staff your building, the best way is to pay. Staffing shortages at child care centers and in classrooms K-12 through have been challenges discussed in the news and around folks' kitchen tables. They've also been subjects of conversation here on our show. And there's another area of employment shortfalls that touches families and workers, too, that we're broaching today, and that's staffing at nursing homes. A recent study by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition found Missouri ranking second last among all U.S. states for the number of hours spent per day with nursing care facility residents. And another report issued by the nonprofit KFF showed that shortages in staffing at such facilities face an uphill battle. Joining me in studio to talk about it is STLPR reporter Chad Davis, who covered this recently. Chad, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks for having me. We also have Gabriella Love with us today. Gabrielle is a certified nurse's assistant, a CNA, at Hillside Manor and Rehabilitation, as well as a certified medical technician. She's also a member of the SEIU Union for Healthcare. Gabby, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you both today for this conversation. Now, Chad, let's talk about those reports that you looked at. Um, from LTCCC and KFF, lots of letters there. <laughs> what was each report's scope? Yeah, so I guess first talking about the um, Long-Term Care Community Coalition, um, they, they looked at all the different states, and including Puerto Rico and, and D.C., and looked at the hours of care that um, residents receive at these nursing facilities. And so Missouri has historically ranked pretty low when it comes to those hours of care. Um, I, I think this time around, it was a roughly around three hours of care that nursing home residents received. And so um, it's a situation that has long been a problem um, a- across the state at, at different nursing facilities. And um, the, the other report by KFF was also looking nationwide and using numbers from the Euro- U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And for that one, they were looking at, well, how much, um, you know, how have we seen staffing across the healthcare sector, um, you know, rise and um, kind of, you know, lower during the pandemic. And one of the things that was interesting was while a lot of different healthcare sectors are seeing some sort of rebound, when it comes to skilled nursing facilities and elderly care, while there is a, a slight rebound, re, rebound and it is kind of going up, it's still pretty low. Mm-hmm. And was anything about what you read in each of these reports surprising to you? I think the fact that the rebound in, um, in, in, in skilled nursing care facilities is still just very, very low. I, I know in Missouri, it was about an 8.5% drop, um, I, I believe, um, or maybe even 11%. And actually, 
even earlier on in the pandemic, it was much, much lower. So again, the the rebound is very slow, if you even want to call it a rebound. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's still much lower than what it was in February of, of 2020. Um, but you know, seeing that there are other sectors in healthcare that are seeing some sort of improvement as opposed to, you know, long-term care is, is, is pretty fascinating. Right. Now, who is it that you talked with about those reports? Yeah. So I think Marjorie Moore, Moore of Voice, which advocates a lot for long-term care facilities, was probably the voice that was able to really localize it and talk a little bit about the issues that we see in Missouri. Um, she gave a great perspective as to, you know, maybe why we're still seeing, you know, residents have such, you know, um, getting few hours of care and, and why that's a, a, a big issue. Um, and, and one of the things she talked about, of course, is pay um, among just long-term care workers and then also retention because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of issues with keeping them. And, you know, it kind of goes beyond just retention and, you know, maybe also trying to offer uh, benefits and, and making sure that CNAs are, you know, taken care of and have that ability to even move up in, in the field. Mm-hmm. So, Gabby, mm-hmm. you are very familiar with all of this from a, a direct experience perspective. I mean, of what Chad has talked about, what is it that really stood out to you as like a yes, that is exactly what's going on? Um, the pay, the mm. benefits that they do not offer us. Um <laughs> The nursing staff, um, the nursing field does have a nursing um, shortage, and it has gotten worse after COVID. I also agree with that. But the main thing is the pay and the benefits that they feel as we don't deserve. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, if anything, we are the main ones that deserve it because we are the frontline workers for these residents. And can you talk about the work that a CNA does on a day-to-day basis? Um, CNAs help residents feed themselves. They help with bathing, putting clothes on, um, ADLs, which is like um, light um, physical therapy that we also offer. So the CNAs, they does a lot, and sometimes it is downplayed um, what CNAs do, and that's why a lot of people feel like CNAs don't deserve this pay or these benefits. Yeah. How did you get into this work? So you are a CMT as well. Yes. But what was it that took you into that field of being a CNA? Um, I always knew that I wanted to be in the nursing field. And while I was in high school, they offered CNAs classes. So I took them in. Ever since then, I have been in the nursing field. Mm -hmm. And the move to getting certification Mm -hmm. for medical technician what was it that prompted that for you um i wanted more pay um also and i wanted to further my education because with cna you work on the floor with the residents you know doing um activities a day living helping them bathe brushing teeth feeding Mm -hmm. but with med tech you kind of assisting the nurse because you're passing medications and you're also doing blood sugars. Mm-hmm. So it's just a step up. CMTs also can still work as CNAs. Yeah. So we kind of do both depending on what is 
the staff in like for their day. Okay. I'd like to invite you into the conversation. If you have a question or comment about the topic we're discussing today, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpr.org. Now, Chad, as Gabby has been talking about what she has done to advance her career, what was it that you heard in talking with um, with Marjorie Moore in particular about that piece regarding advancement. Yeah, I think that was a critical component that she brought up. You know, if, if you have people who are, you know, CNAs who work at a facility and maybe they've been there for a while and they're looking at looking for a way to advance or to get a higher position, a lot of times what she was saying is, is that's really rare and that's really hard to actually go through um, and, and, and advance in, in, that, in, in that regard. Um, and then the other thing that also kind of inhibits that is how a lot of agencies, if they are short-staffed and they're in a pinch, a lot of times what they try to do is they may go and I <laughs> see Gabby, you know, shaking, shaking her head to this. Head, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if, if they're in a pinch, a lot of times what they may do is they may kind of look at, um, staffing agencies and turning to these staffing agencies that can, um, you know, they, they have people who can work there and they can take care of residents, but there's a lot of risk involved in that. And in fact, I think there's a, a quote maybe from Marjorie where she talks a little bit about that um, and, and talks a little bit about what that risk entails. Mm-hmm. And Gabby, you are both nodding and <clears throat> shaking your head. Because they do bring in outside agencies to come and fill those spots. But it's like y'all would pay them sometimes $10 more than what y'all paying y'all staff and it's like if y'all could pay them that money then y'all could give it to us Mm -hmm. and you will have more staff in your facility because you're paying better but instead they would rather pay agency workers that money that they could be giving to their staff Mm -hmm. and what is your sense of why they're willing to do that um I don't know yeah I I don't Mm -hmm. It, it makes no sense to me because I feel like if you're trying to staff your building the best way is to pay mm-hmm. um, CNAs, CMTs, what they're worth. And instead, they would just rather pay these outside companies to bring their workers in and pay them a lot more than what they're paying their own staff. Right, right. And Chad, in your conversation again with Marjorie Moore, and she is the executive director of a statewide agency that actually advocates for nursing home residents. What is the connection between what Gabby has been talking about and what happens on the the resident side of things. Yeah, it's a risk. And and one of the things that she says, and it it makes sense, is when you're using a staffing agency and when you're recycling kind of, for lack of a better word, you know, different people um, to kind of uh, fill in when people aren't there, the resident, you know, th- that, that person who's actually working with the residents, they don't have the same knowledge about the resident and what the resident actually needs. So uh, you can only imagine if you have, you know, temporary workers who, um, you know, kind of they're filling in and then you have another temporary worker. A lot of times that, you know, the, the, the communication between the two, they might not share like, hey, this work, this resident needs X, Y and Z or this resident needs to have this bath at this particular time or this resident needs this 
even if it's not intentional, I think the 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 difficulty is that a lot of different communications, you know, they become lost. Right. And that's a risk for that resident, especially if that resident needs particular care, particular medication. Mm-hmm. They need at a certain time, they need X, Y, and Z. Right, right. Now, Kathy in St. Louis has some perspective to offer in this conversation. Kathy, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. And in addition to seeing people at home, I also see people in the facilities. And um, the gentleman was just speaking to the value of having consistent care. And that is so important. And sadly, I don't see it happening until the worth of a CNA is seen for what it, what it is. They have extraordinarily difficult jobs. Um, um, imagine caring for an adult who has the needs of an infant. And that's pretty much what you're looking at in their job. It's it's, a, it's an entirely different ball of wax when it's somebody who weighs 160 pounds. Um, it's, it's, it's labor intensive. It's heartbreaking. Um, I just think they're worth their weight in gold. And I wish um, that facilities would pay them their true worth. Kathy, thank you. We also have Peggy, speaking of uh, weight, who has some something to add to this conversation as well. Peggy, welcome. Hi. Um, I just wanted to add some of the responsibilities that CNAs, we have as CNAs, that um, I think are important for people to know about. We take care of making sure the residents do not develop bed sores. We um, take care of colostomy bags. We clean and change those. We're responsible for care overnight for incontinent residents that they are clean and dry all night, being checked several different, every couple of hours. Um, we transfer these residents. We clean bowel movements, vomit. I mean, you name it. Anything that's included in daily activities, making sure their dentures are clean, making sure their teeth are brushed. Right, right. Yes, and you know, as Kathy, uh, Peggy, that is, thank you for calling. Peggy has talked about all of the the things, you know, that are part of the work that a, a CNA does. What was it for you, Gabby, that prompted you to to get involved in in organized sort of efforts to improve the situation? Um, looking at some of the residents, I was looking at my grandmother, I was looking at my grandfather. Some of these residents I have been working with since I started in the nursing field. Some people don't have advocates for them. They don't have family. So a lot of times it's up to the staff to step up and be like, this is what's going on with these residents and this is what needs to happen. So my compassion for them is what prompted me to step up and take action. So we need to take a quick break here and say goodbye to reporter Chad Davis. Chad, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. We will be back shortly to continue this conversation, and we will add another voice and perspective to our discussion. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Now back to our conversation with Gabriella Love. I'd also like to introduce another guest to this discussion, and that's Alderman Rasheen Aldridge, uh, a.k.a. Sheen Bean. Alderman Aldridge represents the 14th Ward in the city of St. Louis. That ward includes parts of downtown and areas north along the river, and Rasheen Aldridge currently serves as the chair of a special committee on long-term health care. Alderman Aldridge, welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. So before we get to um, the the committee, let's hear another voice from the community. Jesse in St. Louis, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hi. I was driving home, and I heard Gabrielle, the CNA, speak, as well as Chris Davis, uh, talk about uh, the advocacy group that advocated on behalf of residents. And by day, I'm a compliance officer at Wells Fargo, but at the same time, I'm a labor organizer and on the organizing committee of the union with Wells Fargo Workers United. And as you know, um, there are stories out. One came out last night about how our efforts have been stifled from the employee perspective, but we all know about the scandals that go on with our customers and how we've stolen from them as well as the worker. And I think there's an opportunity here for Gabrielle as well as the resident advocacy group. I believe that Gabrielle can advocate for better pay. I believe that she can advocate for better conditions. And I believe she can also help advocate for the resident and cause less disruption in both the lives of the workers as well as the lives of the residents if she... Um, and Sorry, and that is, that is actually, uh, Jesse, something that Gabby has been involved with, mm. right? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, when I... I've been a part of SEIU um, Union, Healthcare Union, for the past six years, but I've just recently got involved, um, stepping up, speaking up for my residents when new owners came and took over the building, and they tried to change a lot of things, even stripping us of our union contract that they did not want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. So it was time for me to step up when they just <laughs> felt like they didn't have to do anything. Right. So... Alderman Aldridge, I think this is a nice segue to what is happening at the city level. And you are the chair of this special committee. It didn't just happen yesterday, although you did meet this week. Tell us about the origin and the purpose of this committee. Thank you uh, for asking that. You know, it we've I would say we've been knowing that issues in these long-term healthcare facilities have been going on for a very long time and really appreciate you know, people like Gabby and other leaders that are stepping up, organizing uh, with labor unions to make sure that uh, we advocate for pay and work conditions. Um, before I became alderman, um, Ma- uh, Madam President Pre- President Green had set up a committee um, to really dive deep into the conditions that are going on our long-term health care committee, especially post-COVID. You know, COVID really opened up our eyes into the healthcare world of how we're not really supporting our healthcare workers. Um, but I don't think people is really paying attention to these long-term healthcare facilities. So uh, President Green set up a special committee, which were tasked to look at um, just a whole scope of things when it comes to long-term healthcare and what can we do 
from the city of St. Louis standpoint to really either come up with policies to uh, help workers like Gabby, but also hold these home uh, care facilities accountable, right? Because what we're hearing from Gabby and others that have you know called in, it's about the people that are owning these long-term healthcare facilities, not giving Gabby and other people the skills and just the respect and dignity to be able to do the job when they're taking care of our most vulnerable community. But we're taking it a little further. As being a, a former member of the Ferguson Commission, we're really taking a, a regional approach on this situation. We're looking at what we can do locally, what can the city of St. Louis, either our building division or our health department do to hold these actors accountable. But how do we also look at policies from a state level as well, understanding that the state of Missouri, being a former state rep, has a lot of uh, input when it comes to our long-term health care facilities. But even further than that, we have someone who sits on the committee who works for Congresswoman Cori Bush. So what can we do federally to make sure that we can come up with recommendations, hopefully before the board goes back into office, so that we can push these recommendations so that our legislative bodies can act? Because What's happening in these facilities is just, it is horrendous. Mm -hmm. um, we had somebody um, um, come last Monday that uh, lives in Hillside where Gabby works and just talked about the conditions, the lack of uh, quality of living that they're getting, not necessarily from the nurses, but from the, the companies that are, you know, taking over these, uh, these long-term healthcare facilities and not investing in the workers, but also in the residents that live there. Mm-hmm. And whatever is going to affect the residents is going to affect the, the workers. workers and vice versa, mm -hmm. right? Um, Alderman Aldridge, what is your personal investment in working around these issues? Before being elected, I actually, um, like Gabby, I've I had a lot of involvement with SEIU, being a, a fast food worker um, and being a um, someone stepping up. Uh, and working in an industry which sometimes I think people overlook, especially like our, our long-term healthcare facilities, they overlook the the work that you know everyday men and women are doing to take care of individuals uh, that are part of our family. Um, they overlook the the dignity of the worker and don't understand how hard it is. Uh, I think, like Miss Peggy said, you know our our long-term healthcare workers are making sure that. Our, our grandmothers and our grandfathers are taken care of, that they're bathed, that they're lifting 200-pound individuals that uh, has a mind frame of maybe a child because of whatever old age has happened, right? They're making sure that they get the proper nutrients they need. And, you know, those are, you know, our, it, it's so many people that um, in our workforce that are doing a lot of hard work. But when it comes to these critical uh, essential jobs, especially mm -hmm. post-COVID, like a long-term healthcare facility, um, we're, we're not really investing in those workers. We're not investing in um, looking at the conditions of what's going on. So for me, this is, even before being elected, call myself a politivist, activist, and politician, but, you know, uh, workers' dignity is something near and dear to my heart. And, you know, there's organizers like Laura with SEIU and so many others that are um, empowering workers to to speak up and to speak out which isn't easy you mm -hmm. know that's scary this is this is their job and it's it is it's something they care about but one thing that we know is when workers speak up and speak out they get retaliated against so as a elected official i want to make sure that i am making sure that they're supported but that as a the city of st louis when we allow these facilities to come into the city that they are held to a standard of quality that they're mm -hmm. held to a standard that is high and healthy and that is going to make sure that the workers are taken care of and residents 
and I'm really excited. We have some fantastic people on this committee. Like I said, if it's Laura from SEIU, I know we talked about Ms. Moore from Voices. She sits on the committee. It is people that have been in the long-term healthcare uh, field for a long time, right. giving their perspective. And, you know, we're, we're asking questions. We're diving in deep. We're talking to city uh, agencies. We're talking to uh, people that's been impacted the most by this. And we're continuing the work of something that started, like I say, um, our last session mm-hmm. but wasn't able to complete it. So our goal is to make sure that we complete it. We're, we're almost uh, to a point where we probably have one more meeting and then we'll be moving to the recommendation phase. Uh, okay. We'll come up with recommendations that we will pass on to the Board of Aldermen. Yeah. And like I say, as Jefferson City elected officials go in in January, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll meet with them and say, hey, here's a list of recommendations and policies that will benefit our uh, long-term healthcare facilities but it also benefits our region. Yeah, and on that regional note, Gabby, you've worked not only in the city of St. Louis, but in the county as well, right? Yes. And is there really any difference in what your experience was on, on the working side? Um, working in the county, because that facility I worked for, it was like a federal facility. Okay. It was the veterans' home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was way more organized, Um Still nursing staff uh, shortages, but it was a little better. Now, when I came to the city, it was a complete, it was completely different. Okay. Um, especially in the last two years when the new owners took over my facility, everything just went bad. They're not putting any money up into the facilities for the residents, for the workers. Mm-hmm. They just feel like they could just take the money and don't have to put it back into where these residents are living. And yeah. Um, upgrade their living conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, Alderman Aldridge, what reception do you expect, you know, the recommendations you make in Jeff City, uh, which is a re- Republican-dominated legislature, to have? You know, has there been bipartisan support in this area? You know, I feel I'm hopeful that um, when we come up with these recommendations and we pass them off to uh, elected officials in Jeff City, not just Democratic Uh, elected officials, but also hopefully Republican elected officials will look at these recommendations and understand this isn't a partisan issue. You know, health care and long-term health care is an issue that we all should agree on because no matter uh, what party you align yourself with, um, all our uh, family members potentially could be in this situation, right? Or you can have a family member that you know, like Gabby, want to uh, take care of people and enjoy, you know, making sure that people that are in the kind of their last stages, that they have somebody with compassion and love. So, you know, this is in in a time where politics is so uh, dividing and, and, you know, kind of at each other's throats. I'm hopeful that when it comes to health care and in this um, situation with long-term health care facilities, it can be a bipartisan issue. This is an issue that affects everybody. Um, and it's an issue that, honestly, again, we don't know if our grandmother, our grandfather, um, our aunties or uncle one day can be in these facilities. And if they are, you want to make sure they get the best care. And the state of Missouri has uh, some responsibility into this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, our state is one of the um, kind of at the bottom tier when it comes to investing in long term health care facilities. So I'm hopeful that, you know, a bipartisan group will look at this and say, hey, this is just the right thing to do. It's not a political thing to do. It's the right thing to do to take care of the workers, hold these facilities accountable, but also ensure the individuals that are in these facilities are getting the best quality of life possible in their last days. Mm-hmm. Gabby, to sort of wrap up this conversation, in your conversation and like the discussions that you have with 
and fellow colleagues, right, with colleagues, mm-hmm. with other workers, what is the thing that they that they want to see most? Um, or put it in another way, what is the message that you would want to send you know, to Jefferson City and to those who are in positions of power to create policy that is actually going to be beneficial? Um, I want them to hold the owners accountable um, for the way that they treat workers. The pay that they offer us sometimes is it seems like a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to know that safe um, safe staffing for nursing homes and long-term care is important because sometimes it may be one CMT, which CMT, CMTs can charge a floor as a nurse, and you only have two A's for 38 people. So that's not enough. We're lacking somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I want them to understand and hold these nursing homes accountable for safe staffing and also better pay. Okay. When's the last meeting, Alderman Aldridge? Well, it's really up to the committee. Uh, like we, We've been meeting every Monday. It is uh, You can watch it via YouTube uh, at 3 p.m., um, hoping we're hoping to try to get the recommendations done. The board comes back into session September 15th, so to get them done over the summertime so we can hit the ground running. Okay, great. Alderperson Rasheen Aldridge represents the 14th Ward of the City of St. Louis and serves as chair of the City's Special Committee on Long-Term Health Care. And Gabby Love is a certified nurse's assistant at Hillside Manor Rehabilitation as well as a certified medical technician. She's also a member of the SEIU Union for Health Care. Gabby and Rasheen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Elaine Shaw. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.